Hello. Hi. How are you guys? Are you, are you sure? Are you sure? Turn to the person next to you and set, tell them it is 18 more Sundays till Christmas. That. Awesome. Right, let me get out of song charts. Oh, well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kat. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege to bring you talk number four of our series on big people this morning. Uh, so, in this series, we are learning about, we're learning from stories of ordinary people, just like you and me in the Bible. Um, who stepped into a growing moment to live out the fullness of all that God had for them. And the reason why we're doing this is not because it's a nice little stopgap series for August, but because we firmly believe that God is looking for each one of us here at Ashford Vineyard to grow into and live out the fullness of all that God has for us. We are passionate about us becoming big people, and that's people who know God, who know who they are in God, and who step into a growing moment and the invitation of God for the sake of their spheres of influence and for the sake of their city. And this, that's what this series is about. I'm really hoping that as we, uh, as we look at the story of the man that I'm going to talk to you about today... Uh, that you will be inspired, that you will be encouraged, and that God will be speaking to you. So far, we have heard about the unlikely hero Rahab from, from Chris K in week one, Jonathan's friendship from, with David from Chris T in week two, and last week we heard from Nick about Mordecai, who stepped up into a fathering moment to raise others up above himself in the story of Esther. And what we're exploring each week is the how. It's the journey that all of these characters went through as they grew into big people, which we've narrowed down to two things. Here we go. Process and crisis. Or another way to word it could be training and test. So the process is the everyday, it's the experience, it's the legwork, it's the training. And then at some point, a crisis moment arrives. It's that buckle-up moment where all of the things that you have learnt and put in place during the process period is drawn upon and you are ready. Sometimes, whether you feel like it or not, you are ready. And I think even more so in the culture that we live in at the moment... Uh, where we look for quick wins, we look for shortcuts and the fastest way to get through anything, it's so important to remember and to remind ourselves that if we want to grow to be big people, it may feel countercultural. In fact, it will feel countercultural because it takes time, it takes intentionality, and it takes perseverance. And as Nick said last week, we can't grow into big people overnight. In order to make it through the crisis moments, we need the process before so that we know who we are, so that we know who God is, and so that we know what the voice of the Father is calling us into. And that all takes time in training. 
and it's not something that we can skip past. So the man I'm talking to you about today is someone whose process or training involved a shifting of mindset towards courage and towards a full embracing of his calling as he learned to trust God. And what I hope we, that we won't be able to escape from in looking at his story is the gentleness and the kindness of God towards him during his process in becoming a big person. And that man, drumroll please, is... Drumroll please, come on, there we go, is... Oh, Gideon, there we go. Um, Sorry, it's slightly anticlimactic. Um, So uh, we find the start of the story of Gideon in chapter 6 and 7 in the book of Judges in the Bible. And uh, it's probably best just to start off with a little bit of background and context on what's happening uh, and in the wider story of the people of Israel into which Gideon steps into. So this part of the story of Israel is after they've moved into the promised land. So Joshua, who took over from Moses after he died, he's led them into the promised land after their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He dies, and at the time of, their, uh, of his death, a whole new generation of Israelites have grown up not seeing and knowing firsthand who God was, or the amazing things um, that he'd done for them, the amazing ways in which he'd rescued them and he'd uh, rescued them from Egypt, brought them out of slavery. So the people of Israel start to go off the rails. They start worshipping other gods, and so they lose the protection of God from their enemies. So Israel starts to have a really hard time. They start losing their battles where they're trying to conquer territories. They begin to have enemies plunder them instead of the other way around. They are completely leaderless. So God raised up leaders called judges, hence the title of the book, to help redirect them onto the straight and narrow. And each time they turned back to God, God saved the people of Israel from their enemies. But... As soon as a judge died, the people of Israel would almost immediately lose their way again. And so it went on. So we pick up the story of Gideon after the last judge, Deborah, had led the people of God into a place of rest and right living with God for 40 years. So she dies. And for seven years, the people of Israel choose not to follow God and they suffer the consequences A nearby tribe, the Midianites, start to overpower them. Israel is forced to retreat into the mountains and into caves. The Bible describes the Midianites as laying waste to their land. It was everything that the Israelites could do to get by each day. Their crops and their livestock were regularly stolen from them by the Midianites, so they were getting into a pretty desperate place. Enter in Gideon. Uh, in uh, chapter 6, verse 11. So if you've got a Bible, please open it up there. Judges 6, verse 11, um, or it'll be up on the screen as well. Actually, no, it won't. The reference will be up on the screen. So just listen to me if you haven't got a Bible in front of you. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, 
The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, that's his clan's name, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, however you say that word. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a the broth he put in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. So... We're going to go uh, through the whole story of Gideon. It goes past uh, the end of chapter 7, but I'm going to take like this section that we've just read here, um, and we're going to just unpick it a little bit and talk about it for the next five, ten minutes, and then I'll kind of par- paraphrase the rest of Gideon's story. Uh, because this interaction that Gideon has with God is a pivotal point in Gideon's process to becoming a big person. It is from this point onwards that Gideon is propelled into a process where he wrestles and grows in courage into his identity, where he embraces his calling and he learns to trust God. So one of the first things that we can notice is that Gideon is hiding. At the start of this section here, um, at the beginning of uh, just turn back to it, verse, uh, t- verse 11 and verse 12. Gideon is beating out wheat in a wine press. I'm just going to bring up a picture of a wine press here for you. And it will come up on the screen in just a moment. So a wine press is basically like a massive pit underground. So once you're in it, no one can see you. So Gideon is in this wine press. He's below ground level. He doesn't dare beat out the wheat at ground level on a normal threshing floor 
for fear that he is spotted by the Midianites and they come and take all his food away. So he's afraid. He's really afraid. He is hiding and he's gotten really good at hiding because he's had to. And one of the things that has really spoken to me the most out of Gideon's story is this bit, that he was hiding, but God saw him. And he came with him with the invitation of the ultimate anti-hiding plan. And the way that God begins this is by calling out Gideon's identity. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, in the natural, Gideon looks the complete opposite to a man of valor. He is literally hiding in a pit beating out wheat and hoping that no one sees him. It's not exactly the, an image that would conjure up courage and might in your mind. And Gideon's list of excuses as to why he couldn't possibly be a mighty and courageous man is so, is so real to so many of us and the things that we say over ourselves and to God. There's nothing special about me. Line me up next to all of these others. <sighs> I'm, I'm insignificant, I'm weak. There's nothing impressive about me in the slightest. How often is it that what God says over us and to us seems to contradict what we say of ourselves or even what others say about us and of us? I know it does for me, I don't know about you, I, that's something that I really wrestle with, but this is absolutely who God is and how God operates. So often he will speak our identity and our destiny out over us and to us before we've even entered it yet. He calls out who we are before we are even active in it. And God will always speak into our potential and into our true identity as a child of God. He totally knows all of our flaws, all of our weaknesses. Like God knew Gideon's flaws. He knew that he was frightened. He knew that he didn't particularly have a warrior background. He knew that he was scared and he was hiding. And God, he knew that. And he met Gideon where he was and he called him out. And if we remember back to uh, our last talk series, which was on Colossians, we looked at how the Word of God is powerful in changing lives. And if you look at verse 14 again, um, where God says to Gideon, go in this might of yours, those words are activating. And what I mean by that is that in that moment, the power in those words of God created an activation moment. It was a start moment that propelled Gideon into the process of growing into all God says he is and has for his life. So, from this point on, Gideon believes what God says about him, trusting God, all goes smoothly and confidently in rescuing Israel from their enemies. Nope. One of the things that I love about Gideon, and it's given me a lot of comfort in my own personal life with Jesus, is that Gideon is so real. He is so relatable. He is so like you and me. He continues to wrestle with courage. 
Fear and unbelief is one of the most significant things that we see Gideon being trained out of before his crisis moment. So after he has this first encounter with God, God asks Gideon to destroy all of his family altars and idols to the other gods. Gideon does it, but he does it at night because he's still too afraid for someone to see him, still hiding. As it happens, he was well and truly rumbled, but we can, we can see so clearly in that, in that that he was really finding it hard to shake off that tendency to hide. But in wrestling that out, he is still moving forward in obedience to God at this moment. And as this process unfolds, we see that Gideon continues to take more and more steps towards growing into courage and his God-given identity. So after he's done some altar smashing, he calls together a whole load of men from a number of the uh, other tribes of Israel to come and join him in the fight against the Midianites. And it's at this moment that Gideon has another wobble with his courage and his faith in God. And this is probably the most remembered part of Gideon's story, where he asks for two signs from God with a fleece of wool. Um, So the first sign that Gideon asks God so that he knows for certain that God is going to save Israel through him is that um, the fleece would be dampened with the night's dew, but the ground around it would be dry. So God complies and, but then the next day, it's not quite enough for Gideon. It's not really, it's not really settled him. The next day, God, day, God give pray, Gideon prays, rather, and he says, please don't be angry with me. I just, I just need to be sure. Just do it again, but just slightly differently. And he asked God to leave the fleece completely dry while dampening the floor um, around it with dew. And God, again, obliges. Now, Testing God was not something that you were supposed to do as an Israelite. There was literally a commandment saying, do not test the Lord your God. But we don't see God rebuke Gideon for his lack of faith. God doesn't reply and say, you want another sign? Come on, haven't you learned yet? He never speaks directly to Gideon about his failure of nerve. Instead, God gently tends to his growth and walks alongside him as he wrestles out of fear and into faith. And one of the things that we can learn from Gideon here is that even though he feels like the call of God on his life and what God is saying about who he is contradicts reality, he still moves forward. He keeps moving forward. He keeps saying yes to God while at the same time continuing to wrestle with God and wrestle his doubts over his identity and calling. This is such an important thing for us to see and to let it sink in. That in the process to becoming a big person, it is okay to wrestle with your doubts about who God says you are and what he's calling you to as long as as you keep moving forward in God. So the next part of Gideon's story is the testing. It is that crisis moment. It's crunch time. Gideon has gathered his troops. He's gathered 32,000 of them. Camps out close to the Midianite camp. 
And verse 2 of chapter 7 says this, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So, therefore, proclaim to the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remain. Woo, it's test time. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test, you. I will test them for you there. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. And likewise, anyone who kneels to, down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt to drink water. I just imagine Gideon at this moment is like, please let it be the 9,700. But God says to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands and let all the others go, every man to his home. Wow. What a crisis moment for Gideon. God is intentionally dealing with Gideon's wrestle with trust. He, God has absolutely proven to Gideon up to this point that he is 100% with him. But the call on Gideon's life to be a mighty man of valor required Gideon to have an, a steel-like resilience in trusting God's plans and purposes for his life. And what happens next is just absolutely beautiful because it would be so easy for us to read that section and to think that God had gone, got, like, gone all tough love on Gideon. There you go, Gideon. I've shrunk your army down from 32,000 to 300. Off you go. Go and save Israel. But no, God instead shows himself to be such a beautiful and gentle encourager Gideon has done everything that God's asked him to do. He has moved through the process. He's grown into courage. He's grown a fair way into a new mindset as to who he is. He stepped up when it mattered most. And yet God knows that he is still afraid. And so because God is just so kind, he says to Gideon, now's the time to attack the camp, but... If you're still feeling afraid, take your servant with you to the outskirts of the camp and what you hear will strengthen you to do what I have called you to do. How kind is that? How kind is that? And what Gideon heard down at that camp were two Midianite men who were uh, discussing a dream that one of them had had and the other was giving an interpretation of the dream and the interpretation of the dream was that the Midianites were going to fall. God has given into, into Gideon's hand Midian and all of the camp. That was the interpretation. And I love what happens next. And uh, you can find this in Gideon chapter 7, uh, verse 15. Gideon worships. It's like the final nail in the coffin for his unbelief 
and for his fear. And it's, the mo- it's like it's the moment that it completely hits home. He is who he says he is. And I am who he says I am. And from then on, the contrast between the Gideon that we saw at the beginning of chapter 6, the one who was saying, I'm the least, I'm the weakest, I'm a nobody. And then the man of courage and might, even before the end of chapter 7, is enormous. And you can see it just further down in um, chapter 7 in the way that he talks to his men just before they attack the Midianite camp. And he says to them, look at me. And do likewise, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. There is no way that someone who doesn't know who they are and doesn't have courage in who God's called them to be, who God's made them to be, and in God, would tell people, look, what, look at me and do what I do. Gideon has completely stepped up out of hiding. And uh, you can read the rest of the story at the end of chapter 7. Gideon and the army uh, of 300 men defeated the Midianites. It's extraordinary. They, just gather, they gather around the camp and they make an absolute racket. And basically the Lord just turns each Midianite man against themselves and they just destroy each other. That was what God said, you will strike Midian as one man. It was literally one man against the other each Midianite against each other. is amazing. And Gideon goes on to lead the people of Israel into a time of peace. So just to um, recap as we come into land here, Gideon grew into courage. He stepped out of hiding. He heard the voice of God speaking destiny and identity over his life. He could have stayed in the pit. He could have stayed there hiding and said to God, do you know what, God, you need to choose someone else. Do you know, this is all I can do right now. He didn't. He probably felt that, but he didn't. He stepped out of hiding. He grew into courage. He embraced his identity. That fight, that warring that he had with God at the beginning over who God was saying he was and the juxtaposition with who he could see himself as. And he, just, and he kept leaning into who God was saying that he was. He kept leaning into it. And finally, he trusted God. There's no part of this, that, of, of Gideon's story, where Gideon would have been able to do this by himself. He's, lit, he's got God with him the whole step of the way. He's got God instructing him the whole step of the way. And he, follow, he follows God, even though he is very, very, very scared. And he's not sure he can do it, but through his process, he grows and trusts in God. This story has... Um, been really uh, impactful for me, particularly over the last 18 months. Some of you may know that our, our story, mine and Josh's story, our family story, where we, um, we wrapped up a church plant in Herne Bay and we moved here uh, nearly two years ago. And, um, and after that, um, I felt like an absolute failure. God said very clearly to me, you're not a failure, you haven't failed, but I really, really struggled to hold, 
to believe that. And um, for the last couple of years, more than that actually, the last three and a half years, God's been saying some stuff over to me that I, have, I haven't understood. Saying stuff about, over, over my identity, about who I am, about what he's called me to do, and I haven't understood. And then when I suddenly understood, I had a massive freak out moment. I, um, I'm sure I'm not the only person in this room who has those moments where you just, you wish either the ground would swallow you up or that you could just get back home and you could just hide under your duvet or just hide behind a door and just be like, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to stay in this place. I'm just going to stay in this season of my life where I, I know it. And, and actually, the thought of stepping into something new is just, it feels too scary, and I'm just not sure I'm ready. And um, I just want to ask you a couple of questions, because I, I know that there are other people in this room who are in the process of stepping into their training their process, there are things that God has spoken over you that you are feeling like a sense of urgency of like, a, oh, okay, I think, I think this is now. I think I need to step into this now. And there is that wrestle for you in that. And I just want to encourage you to do what Gideon did and to step up out of hiding and step into the things of God, because he is going to be with you the whole step of the way. And as we have learned from Gideon's story, he is so kind. He is so gracious in our wobbles. And we can have some big, like, adult tantrum wobbles, right? (laughs) Maybe that's just me. Um, We can have some really big wobbles, and God is just so kind. He's so gracious. He's just saying, come on, let's keep keep moving. Let's keep moving forward. God is fully invested in your flourishing. And your best flourishing is not found in hiding. It's found in you together with God being enough. You plus God are enough. And stepping into the process of growing into all God's called you to be. Can I just uh, invite you to stand? We're just going to, I'm just going to wrap up in prayer. I think there are a a few people in the room here this morning and online as well who the concept of uh, of God calling out destiny over you, God speaking destiny and his like his plans over you is just something that is it it doesn't really connect with you because you don't feel like you know what who God's made you to be. You don't know, like, the, the way that he has formed you and the... I, I was going to use the word assignment. It's not an assignment. It's like the assignment and then the stepping into who you are. The assignment's just the vehicle. 
And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to come and just and speak to you now. And for some of you, you might need to get together like one-to-one with someone else who could help you to process that through because actually something, a, something like coaching, a coaching conversation could really help to draw this out of you because God has put everything he's got for you inside of you. It's not like hanging off like 100 miles away and you're just waiting for it to catch up with you. He's put it inside of you. And so, Holy Spirit, just ask you that as we look to continue to move forward and to step forward, say yes to you in our process in becoming big people, that, Father God, that you would, your voice would speak destiny, your voice would speak purpose, your voice would speak plans and identity over each one of us today. And I pray specifically for those online and in the room who don't know who they are and they don't know who you've called them to be. And I ask you, Father God, that you would speak to them now and that you would continue to speak to them through, through others and during the week as well. I just feel a, 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 a need to reiterate what Nick said last week about how there are, there are Mordecais in this room. who There are people who are, God is raising up to, to get into, lean into a fathering moment, to lean into a mothering moment, and get beside people who don't yet know who they are, who don't yet know what their purpose is, and to help draw that out of them. So if that's you as well, I just pray for you, pray courage over you. And that you would step into that invitation that God's inviting you into. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. And we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.